Expanding access to care and improving health outcomes requires innovative digital solutions that in some cases, no one else has access to. I'm Gina DiPietro with Industry Insights, a healthcare podcast presented by Novant Health. In this episode, Angela Yoakum, Novant Health Executive Vice President and Chief Transformation and Digital Officer, explores why it's more important than ever for organizations to invest in programs ranging from artificial intelligence to drones. More on that and what else she's excited about on the digital horizon. One of your biggest priorities is expanding access to care. How do you go about uncovering what new and different tools are out there to help your team accomplish that? Well, I'd like to answer that in a couple of different ways. First, I'd like to talk about the sorts of things for which we look when we think about what we need to expand access to care. One sort of thing that we look for would be enhancements to or expansions of digital channels. In the past, when we think about a video visit, we would think almost exclusively about the capability set that exists on one's phone or on one's laptop. But as you know, in the last couple of years, we've extended that by partnering with a company called TidoCare. So TidoCare has a series of devices, one of them is called Tido Home, that a consumer can have in hand to allow an advanced practitioner or a physician on the other end of their line to look in their ears or look down their throats or listen to their breathing, listen to their heartbeats, take the temperature, look at their skin. These sorts of advanced technologies, advanced sensor capabilities, along with the connectivity that we provide back into the patient's record and or (laughs) direct connectivity back to the advanced practitioner gives us a much more robust and meaningful exam for that patient at home. So that's an example of of a solution set that we'd want to incorporate to extend that sort of digital channel of care. We also look at what I would consider to be a hybrid sort of approach. So there is care that we provide, that we extend to our communities that is not delivered in the patient's home, but nor is it delivered in a traditional venue of care. An example of this would be a kiosk in a retail facility, for example, or it could be you know, a, a nurse-guided kiosk type device that exists in schools, in the school nurse office, or in some other, you know, even in a corporate facility for their employees. These are the sorts of expanded access locations that have a physical component but don't require the patient to have any sort of special technology or tool set. And then lastly, when I think about expanding access to care, I think about care that is traditionally delivered and is still delivered inside one of our traditional locations, but through some digital enhancement that provides a greater access at all of our locations instead of just certain specialized locations. So examples would be the tele-ICU capability that we have that allows us to turn any normal hospital room into an intensive care unit style bed with remote monitors and advanced sensors in the room and that sort of thing. I also think about things like our VizAI solution set that you've heard me discuss many times before that allows us to very, very quickly diagnose a stroke patient with an operable occlusion, if that's in fact what they have, and do that regardless of the relative location of the patient sitting in a CT scanner to the neurosurgeon who is, you know, who gets the results of that scan, even before the scan is complete. So these are the sorts of enhancements we're constantly unearthing. So that's the first half of my answer. What are we looking for when we think about expanding access to care? But 
you know, how we go about doing it is I think where the magic really lies. So we look not just in the traditional vendor community for these sorts of solutions. We don't just pull our traditional software partners, although they're certainly a rich source of those solutions. They're not the only source. What we believe is if we were to wait on the vendor's roadmap to provide to us something that our patients need, then you know we will, A, perhaps not get that capability as quickly as we'd like to have it, and B, uh, we get at the same time all of our competitors get it. You know, we, we like to differentiate by having the most up-to-date and oftentimes uniquely available solutions to help get to a, a faster diagnosis and a more appropriate response to that diagnosis. So instead of just relying on those sorts of traditional relationships, we've uh, cultivated relationships with a variety of different entity types. So we've created relationships with uh, a variety of investment groups. Certainly, we're very active in the startup community across not just those startups that we think about as healthcare startups, but a number of startups that are industry agnostic to which we can, you know, whose solutions we're able to apply to some of our toughest problems. We're very active in engaging individual inventors, the tinkerers that exist inside of our own organizations and providing constructs that allow them to very quickly bring forward their ideas and inventions so that we can incorporate them into solutions that we bring forward. And of course, universities and university labs, we're able to work closely with those entities and with individuals and those entities to, to bring forward things that otherwise, you know, no one else has access to them, to their solutions or their inventions because they're just not commercially available. So those are the ways in which we think about expanding access and discovering, uh, differentiating ways to achieve that expansion. You talked through some of the solutions to expanding access to care. I'm curious, what do you think some of the biggest care delivery challenges are right now for healthcare systems and the industry as a whole? Well, the COVID-19 pandemic has really shined a spotlight on health inequities. We know the impact of the virus was disproportionately felt by our communities of color. And what was true before COVID-19 is certainly true now in that certain communities lack equitable access to healthcare. And many of the things that we described or that, that, that I just described are things that we are applying to this inequity. Even before the pandemic, we were working to increase access and improve equity through digital means or otherwise. It's become increasingly clear that our practice of seeing the person behind the patient is more important than ever before. So what does that mean? That means that where people live, whether they hold multiple jobs, what kind of family support they have, what they eat, are they safe? <laughs> These are all key social factors that influence health. And so we're focused on ensuring that each of our patients receives care that is tailored to their specific needs. How can technology be used to increase health equity? How might it benefit some of those underserved populations? So when I think about the sorts of things that we focus on and the ways in which they can be applied to this equity issue that is so pervasive, you know, I, I think about it in terms of access and we've discussed that. I also think about it in terms of quality of care. So many of the things that we apply to all of our communities are key accelerators of some of the work we're doing to address those health inequities. The access that we're providing through non-traditional physical locations that are either roving or, you know, the mobile mammography unit, for example, or clinics that we're setting up in underserved communities that look more like 
community centers than traditional clinics where there are food pharmacies and, you know, the, the most advanced diagnostics. Those are you know, some of the Michael Jordan clinics uh, in our area that you're familiar with. Those are ex great examples of such locations. And of course, the digital divide is real and plays a part in inequities in education, inequities in health. So it's not always reasonable that we can rely on traditional virtual venues, virtual channels to just immediately reach those who otherwise don't have easy access to care. So it's important to have those hybrid locations so people can, can use digital capabilities to get better access, either in a walk-in sort of urgent care style or part of their visits to their physician. So for example, if someone has taken time off work so they've foregone getting paid for the day and they've taken six buses, <laughs> you know, to get to see a physician and they get to see that physician only to discover that they need to consult with two other specialists. If we're able to allow for virtual consults from that physician's office and that person can go ahead and have those consults that day from the physician's office where they are, that's a huge help right? Because then we're not putting undue stress on that person who then has to go back, take six buses to get back and take another day off work, or maybe two other days off work to see two other specialists. So because of this sort of extension of, of the physical locations through digital means, we're able to help address some of those inequities. Other examples relate to the moves that we're making to improve the quality of care. So for example, we have an unprecedented amount of data available to us. It's not just the data that streams in from wearable devices. It's clinical data that has either been collected as part of our own engagements for the patient or clinical data that may have been shared at the patient's request from other systems. And we have behavioral data and information about the weather. We understand what's going on, you know, what sort of social issues are happening in a given geography that may impact the patient. And and all of this data that could be used to help us better understand an individual patient's health is the same sort of data that help us predict major health events before they happen. And if we're to the point where we're able to make predictions about the likelihood of certain health events, then it changes the way we are able to proactively and effectively engage with patients before they find themselves with a significant health issue with which they have to deal. So those quality plays that we make that serve every single patient, those quality plays are the same sorts of capabilities that will allow us to address the inequities. What's the benefit of investing in programs ranging from artificial intelligence to drones, things that you may not think really play a role in the healthcare space, but I'm curious, what's the ROI from utilizing some of those advanced technologies? We pay attention to ROI with every investment that we make. AI is everywhere. So the things I just described related to predicting major health events, that is largely based on models that we've built in our cognitive computing team that allow us to use learning algorithms to make those predictions. You know, AI is essential and, and is part of every solution I think that, that you could buy off the shelf these days, no matter how pragmatic and boring <laughs> a solution might be, there will be an AI aspect to it. That's just the nature of technology advance and, and where we are. So I don't think that we would invest in AI for AI's sake. We would invest in solution sets 
and that, that allow us to bring differentiating care to our patients and our communities and or solution sets that allow us to run a more efficient operation or allow us to create a world-class consumer engagement. These are the sorts of things that every company worries about. And, you know, every company is applying AI-based solutions to those problems. Like I said, we cognitive computing teams. So we do have investment in skill sets around AI. We do have you know, PhD data scientists on staff. And it's the right thing to do for any company that, again, does not rely on just what they can purchase off the shelf from a vendor for every single one of its solutions. If it's reasonable to expect that you will, at the very least, co-create solutions with third parties and perhaps even entirely create in-house solutions as needed, then it is also reasonable to build one's own capacity for that sort of creation. So there is some investment in people and teams that have that capability set. That's fairly straightforward. It's, it's best practice across pretty much every industry these days. On the drone side of things, you know, we did make a big splash this past year when we partnered with a company called Zipline to run some experiments in moving PPE from our distribution center to a couple of our locations. And the reason it was such a splash is that we worked with the FAA to get the first ever waiver in advance of you know, any other company getting such a waiver, uh, emergency waiver for, for flying drones over long distances, overpopulated areas, and that didn't require a full line of sight as the drone was flying. So in other words, you didn't have to have human eyeballs on the drone as it flew. So this is a fairly big deal in the drone community. We learned a lot from it. When we think about expanding access, taking advantages of all modalities of delivery for things like PPE or medicines or any sort of medical or clinical supply, understanding what it means to use drones as a modality of, of delivery is important information for us to have and for every company to have. Particularly when we started to see the surges back at the beginning of the pandemic, we started to see the horrific surges in other large metropolitan areas like New York City. We saw some things happening in California. We saw some things happening in Seattle. We saw some things happening in Boston. And we wanted to ensure that for our 700 plus locations, there was never a time when that location could not get on demand exactly what it needed to serve the patients that it was treating at that moment in time. And the great thing about drone-based distribution of supplies is that it allows you to be very precise in the nature of the delivery and the timing of the delivery. Because of that, we invested in the drone modality. Where that takes us in the coming year, it's likely to include home delivery of medicines. So specialty pharmacy, home delivery through drones. That's pretty exciting because that means that you can specify, I would like this delivered in a 10-minute window and you will get it in that 10-minute window. How exciting is that? But we'll also be investigating movement of very, very large payloads using a different type of aircraft. That, of course, will come in handy when we think about shifting big you know, pallets of supplies back and forth between our locations. So there are a number of things that are just part of the natural evolution of business that require us to not rely on what's normal and try to look ahead at what the future is likely to be and prepare for that future. Rapid advances in technology require constant evolution, just like you alluded to. And I know you mentioned, you know, one example was the home delivery of medication that we can look forward to. But what other new things on the horizon are you excited about? 
excited about the evolution of the and the advances that we're seeing in devices because sensor capability is becoming so much more sophisticated in the physical footprint that it requires continues to shrink. I think it's reasonable to expect that a lot of the things that for which we normally would have to go into a hospital or be tested inside of a hospital will be things that are, are things we could even have just have in the home, you know, and the, the small handheld things that could revolutionize how we think about continuous monitoring of patients or monitoring of patients with chronic conditions who wouldn't be at the level of acuity to be in a hospital, but need to have a closer eye kept on their condition on a regular basis. Really excited about that. So the device world is exploding right now. And I, I just can't, I can't wait to see how that continues. We've already talked about the proliferation of data and how, you know, extreme connectivity advances that have happened in computing power. And, and you know, I don't even get me started talking about quantum. You know, these are things that are going to enable us to practically tell the future. I mean, you know, it's it's really extraordinary to predict where we're likely to be this time five years from now related to understanding health conditions in a way we never have before with a precision we never have before. And by we, I mean, you know, I mean, everybody. <laughs> and that's very, very exciting. And then, and then also getting to a more personalized treatment plan for whatever health condition is found is also very, very exciting. So I'm excited about that as well. It sounds like patients will really benefit from some of the things that you just mentioned. That's exactly right. All of the things we've talked about today are all in support of our mission, which is to ensure that our communities are healthy and we address the community's health one patient at a time. And the way we do that is to reach more patients, to reach them in a more personalized fashion to understand more about that patient's condition, whether they're healthy patients today, we want to keep them healthy. And if, if they have health challenges, we want to get them healthy and then keep them healthy. That is our mission. That is why we exist. So that is something that we pursue with a tremendous amount of energy. You mentioned earlier in our discussion that part of your role as a tech leader is to provide a platform for ideas, allowing people to sort of learn, tinker and experiment has this mindset proved successful? Absolutely. We have ideas coming in from all over. We have ideas coming in from our staff members. We have ideas coming in from physicians and nurses and advanced practitioners and other clinicians who every single day have a lot of time to think about ways in which they wish things worked differently. <laughs> and so they, and these are smart people. You know, these are people who are used to tackling some of the most difficult problems there are, you know, related to the human health condition to create a facility that allows us to bring in those ideas and to run experiments, pressure testing some of those ideas, and then ultimately using the data from those experiments to make great decisions about a future investment to solve some of these problems, either directly for patients or operational issues or any number of other solution sets. It's been great. And it's also these constructs that we've put in place that allow us to quickly engage with a variety of third-party types without crushing you know, a startup with our you know, big enterprise <laughs> processes. It's these sort of processes that have allowed us to do all the things that we've talked about so far today. Doing things unconventionally requires sometimes an unconventional path. And if we want to do that safely and with speed, we have to make sure we're very clear and very crisp in how we define those pathways. As we look to the rest of 2021, what role will your team play in Novant Health's effort to vaccinate its communities against COVID-19 
as well as integrating a recently acquired major hospital system on the North Carolina coast. Oh, well, our team is busy with both of those things. First of all, in the vaccination effort, we have many clinicians, dozens and dozens and dozens of clinicians are on my team and, and they were actually putting needles in people's arms. So, so they are physically vaccinating the, the communities in many cases, but in their traditional roles, we're also trying to make it as easy as possible for our patients and our communities to get appointments, to find a location to be vaccinated, to request a vaccination. Uh, all of that is top of mind for us. We want to make it as easy as possible for our operational teams to set up those vaccination locations. We want to make sure it's easy as possible for our pharmacy teams and our supply chain teams to get the medicines to where they need to be at the right time. So, you know, our teams are involved in every aspect of our business and every aspect of our operations and every aspect of our clinical work. So there's nothing that they're not involved in as, as it relates to the COVID-19 vaccination effort. You know, integrating the major hospital system on the coast, that, as you know, is for any industry, a fairly heavy lift. The nature of the integration is being very carefully defined so that we bring the best of each system to the whole with the least amount of disruption to our operations as possible. So that's been just delightful. Lots to look forward to. Indeed. Gina DiPietro again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Industry Insights. We hope you'll join us next month for discussions about addressing workforce burnout and trauma, as well as the shift in the orthopedic industry from inpatient to outpatient procedures. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review it and subscribe to this and all the Novant Health podcasts. We post new episodes all the time. Most are just 15 minutes.